Star Wars Crimson Rain. It's actually the best issue of that series so far. Oh, that's Crimson um, Rain. Yeah. We have Devil's um, Rain, Crimson Cage, and Crimson Rain. Yeah. They're all serious. <laughs> they need to all come out on the same week. You guys? Hey, buddy. Oh, no. Are we going to talk about that thing? What thing? I don't know. Jeff just looks bummed. Um, Doing this in public? We're going to have to talk about it at some point, you guys. Uh, might as well might as well rip the Russell Band-Aid off. Yeah. Yeah, we have to talk about Russell Wilson. I don't have the Wilson. <laughs> oh, I was thinking Ryan Wilson or Mark Russell. <laughs> hey, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Do you want to talk? Do you want to do? Do you want a podcast? Do you want to do a podcast? Like another one? Start a new one? Or no. do we want to go in like a, a different direction? I think we should just like start up this pod, like do the same podcast, but do this, episode. this one. Yeah. guys i wanted to start a comic book podcast i wanted to do a comic book podcast with my best friends so i decided that i would do it and i said hey friends i wrote this intro for us and my teacher said it was good and she only circled some of the words in red that was one of them maybe i wasn't supposed to say that one it's a red? podcast and it's about comic nope sorry maybe it was the interrupting <laughs> maybe maybe she knew i was gonna talk it's... over you i'm sorry Django. oh all i was gonna say was red oh i was I talking to... over you I wanted to say like, like just now when okay, welcome Sorry, to you should, true you should just confessions. Go. True comic book confessions. The comic place presents true comic books confessions, a new oh. direction from the perfectly acceptable podcast. Season four, episode four. New directions. Comics place presents true confessions, a comic book podcast presented by the perfectly acceptable podcast. Are we true comic are book? Are we married to that name? No. Do we have I mean, to I, do we have to confess something like every episode? True confessions. Django, <laughs> I love, listen. I love the theme. Oh, no. Listen, Django. I have a confession to make okay um, i've used this yes, comic book platform as a way of making myself feel big by tearing you down publicly and i am sorry and never again will i use this comic book podcast to disparage your name and make you feel small and i am sorry and we will from now on i will use this podcast instead as a platform to bolster you and, I hate this and shine a light <laughs> on you because you deserve to be treated with respect and well. So Django, please, my true confession, I ask for your forgiveness. Please take the spotlight and guide us through this podcast, my my friend. Jeff, this is this is a terrible, terrible plan. It's not because I love I you and I think you're very good <laughs> at what you do. And I think you're very funny and you're great. And I love standing by you. Listen, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. My ego is going to become unmanageable if we you continue. Deser along it this deserves line. to be. It deserves to be. Django, I will not, because you know, it's your I, funeral. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take you down, bud. This is. Listen, you deserve. I support you. Cheers to you, Ting. Look what you've done, Brian Garside. <laughs> Brian Garside, <laughs> listen. I had the idea for this bit when I heard that on Tuesday. <laughs> Django, please. I, out of a deep respect and love and at, and admiration for you and what you do, please take us away. Please take us away, my friend. My son. Welcome to the perfectly acceptably made podcast, True Confessions, presented by the Comics Place. 
from Bellingham, Washington, where three buddies who own and manage and run and micromanage and mismicromanage Mr. Comic Book Store, aptly named and succinctly and spot on the nose, the Comics Place in Bellingham, which is in Washington State near Canada, but like the other, like the left side of Canada. Well, left side, yeah, yeah. Left side of Canada, we read comics and then we talk about them uh usually very briefly but tonight i have a confession to make oh no i didn't read a single one of these comics so everything i say today is going to be a lie which is kind of like a meta confession if you know what i mean and Can i sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no no. you this doesn't work if you don't interrupt and if you're not a little bit shitty to me so okay so, no 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 that bring that's it on, out PF. hey the shit's been flushed down the toilet my friend okay <laughs> i just wanted to say is it a lie if it's if you've stated truthfully that you haven't read the comics well one of us always lies the other one oh, no. always tells the truth and roman has to decide i was gonna say and then there's roman yeah he's Django, just and, and all the while around. he's had that wonderful intro written and ready and i just ignored it. i've just ignored it for five years now he's had this like really <laughs> nice document this hey jeff i typed up the intro for you if you ever want to say it and i foolhardy jeff figley you know, Jeff Brouhaha, Dougie Dougie Figley just fucking doesn't care. And it's so destructive, Django. And I just want you to know that J. Dougie Dougie gets, I get it now. I get it now. I, I appreciate your apology for all the effing and Jeffing. I've been effing and Jeffing left and right, but I got to get to the point, Django. I've got an left email. And from a, yeah, lefting. I've got an email for our comic book podcast. That's You guessed it. It's did, a comic book podcast. I'm Jeff. Share names? I'm Django. I'm Rowan. Oh my God, Roman! You look great. That's quite <laughs> the dried. That's quite the dried fluid in your chest hair. Look at um, him, listeners. He's so good. Hey, I've got an email. Happy episode two hundred and sixty-one of the perfectly acceptable New Directions. This is not a spoiler for the Batman, but a public service announcement that there is no post-credit scene for anyone to wait around for. Unlike last week's podcast which I was not aware of until later on, which did have a post-credit discussion on the previously mentioned Batman movie. Ooh. The ongoing discussion regarding director Matt Reeves leaning heavy onto the Kurt Cobain Nirvana influence in his characters and storytelling has left me wanting more comic book movies like this. What is another comic book movie that you would love to see lean on this idea and what musician album would you want to see them lean on for influence? Touch Grace, William Elmer. Interesting. Um, That's a I like that question quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, so so we've got a sort of musical person album kind of uh basis for a comic book film or adaptation. What would you like? Well, Kirk Cobain is such a good one thinking about that the Batman movie because he's so like iconic as a character in and of himself, mm -hmm. like Kurt Cobain is. So I feel like you'd kind of need to lean into like I mean Obviously, uh, you got like uh, you got like uh, Tom Waits, you know, a Bob Dylan, you know, like you need I, I would think that you'd need to think about a musician who is a pretty strong character in and of themselves. Right. Tom Waits was the first musician that came to my mind. And then I started trying to match him up to a comic book. And I can't think of like I, I'm thinking like weird, just post circusy Tom Waits. So he's like in the boiler room beating up a piano until it's pieces for drums, you know, like a John Constantine. <clears throat> yeah, maybe Constantine, maybe something like totally out of left field, like a like a like a horror version of the Fantastic Four based on a Tom Waits album, you know, that'd be cool. That's funny because Tom Waits is the first one that came to my mind too. It's cinematic bastard, but, but it was a really it's a bizarre one that I don't know if it could possibly work, but I was thinking Tom Waits, Earth Dies Screaming, that album. Mm -hmm. 
Bone machine. Um, yeah, bone machine. And it's about and it's using Captain Planet, but it's very dark. Ooh, <laughs> like a twisted Captain Planet. Yeah, I like yeah. that idea. <clears throat> I'm thinking about well, again, I'm sort of stuck on Kurt Cobain because I love the idea of his character. Um, but then you know, kind of a, a similar type of character like Jimi Hendrix. I think that like either one of those characters, you could tell a really interesting, dark Spider-Man story with. I think that like, mm. if you were to like tell a story that was intentionally supposed to kind of be the meteoric rise of a young person gaining power and esteem and, but like not like Superman or sorry, Spider-Man's always okay. And a good guy, but what if that power kind of consumed and destroyed him? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not something that's like, I mean, maybe that's already been done, but like, I don't know. There's something, there's something there to that idea of that Spider-Man story. Like maybe a Spider-Man who reveals his identity by choice at some point and that kind of increase in notoriety after he's become famous or something, but then ultimately the, the things that go, you know, in, in tow with all of that, destroy him or something, you know, about an Isaac Hayes Punisher. So like shaft style seventies <laughs> set just after Vietnam Punisher, but before but he got with- into Scientology. Yeah, but like with really cool, funky music to go yeah. with the bullets. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. 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 Dave Matthews Band, <laughs> Blue and Gold. All right. Okay. Ooh. All right. All right. Yeah, I like no. it. Yeah. But, and, and the companion movie could be Hootie and the Blowfish Justice League. Hootie and the Blue. Hootie. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I wasn't fully equipped to think that in depth and laterally about something. Um, I love musicians. I think they're the most interesting people out there. <coughs> listening to an autobiography, of the, well, not an autobiography, sorry, <laughs> listening to an audiobook about the book. Oh, sorry, Django, sorry, you, sorry, you. My bad, you're, you're just doing the thing. Oh, I was just gonna say like second coolest people out there. <laughs> right, well, comic shop owners and employees and then musicians, right? Yeah, okay. Right, right. Well, musicians are just failed comic store owners. <laughs> You know, you only become a musician if you can't cut it in the comics industry. Hey, Django, I'm not sure if you told the people, but we are going to be talking about a number of comic books this week on the Perfectly Accessible podcast. We're going to be talking about Punisher number one. We're going to talk about Little Monsters number one, Captain Carter number one. We're going to talk about Trial of the Amazons number one, a patchly delivery service number three. We're going to talk about Strange Academy number 17. And Django, there was one that you were going to do a little spot on, but I don't have it in front of me, so I've kind of forgotten what it is. I apologize. Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. Number Lives numbers, and numbers four and four. Numbers four and numbers four. And four. Um, Django, do you mind if I transition us to the Punisher conversation now? No, I think... Um... I think I'm going to take a quick nap in the okay. passenger seat here. If you don't mind driving, I know because of this new paradigm we've got, I can I've, just... I've used this podcast too, for too long to feel larger, Django, and it's not fair. It's not fair for me to have cornered you into this social avenue and then used it to publicly feel better about myself. It's really just the feelings at all that I'm not into with right. this whole experiment. So uh, I'm going to wall myself back off. <laughs> Anything you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Okay. And uh, okay. Be, be really nice to me because then it's being really I am. nice to you. I am. Hey, Roman, how are yes. you doing? How are you picking up on all this vibe? How is this dynamic working for you? Third it's leg so, of this it's, it's, it's so saturated. Oh my God, I can't, I can't take it. Are we breaking up? Hashtag never again. You and I or Roman? <laughs> you and I. Oh, I don't know, but are you leaving me because I've 
kind of bullied you for years now i can't tell if this is the calm before the storm or if it's like the eye of the storm you're just finally happy because you found another business partner somewhere like are you opening the axe throwing bar speaking finally? of which i wanted you to meet my friend ted i brought him in here actually hey ted come over here what's up pussy <laughs> you think you got a big ego i'm ted let me slap you around that's a tiny little penis you got there hey jango that's a tiny little penis you got there i'm ted look, look at these hands i got in my pants <sighs> look at these hands i've got in my pants it's like a like a back badger loaf oh roman's the only badger loaf here no we need to get cooking we need to put the chicken in the stew. It's gumbo time, baby. That's a sausage thing. Let's talk about The Punisher by Jason Aaron. The interesting thing about this is the first couple pages are done by Paul Azaceta. And the main bulk of the story, I was working really hard to get to the artist before I couldn't find it. I think it's Jesus Saez. Yes, Saez? it is. Thank you. Um, this is a new Punisher series. Historically, I'm not super into the character of The Punisher. I'm just not necessarily uh, uh, superheroes in general the muscles and the testosterone and the fighting is um, maybe one of the things I like on the lower half of the list of things that superheroes do. <laughs> pussy. I know. Soft, pillowy <laughs> pussy. Um, but, but, uh, but Punisher can be used in some pretty interesting <clears throat> ways. And Jason Aaron and Garth Ennis have both used him in a pretty wonderful way in the past mm -hmm. with the Punisher Max run. Garth Ennis having done a fair number of like Vietnam stories using the Punisher. So I will, did I say that wrong? No, I was just in my brain. I was just counting. Like, I think Garth Ennis did more than 100 issues of Punisher. Jeez. Pretty much like one after another. Good for him. He loves yeah. Frank Castiglio. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, you know, so I'll check in on Punisher stories when they come out <clears> to <throat> sort of see what frame of reference of Punisher it's going to be. But I usually drop off pretty quick if it's not really a sort of a war story. So I tried this one out because it's Jason Aaron and... I can't necessarily put my finger exactly on what it was about this that I liked so much, but it was of the first batches of batch of books I read this week. It was my sort of top of the stack uh, staff pick. I'm pretty confused about that. Now, Roman, I'm curious, can <laughs> you help tease that out of my brain? Why did I like this book? Because I don't think Punisher is something I historically like. Because you secretly like violence. I do secretly yeah. like emotional violence. <laughs> Which is the juiciest kind of violence. He does love juices. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, it's, it's like you said, this is just a really compelling Punisher story so far. I mean, one issue. Um, I don't know when he, he, was it in Devil's Reign? When did he take over the hand? Or not take over the hand. He's now like their head assassin dude. It's like is right I, now in this comic. I think it might be right oh, now in this comic. Okay. <clears throat> I thought, I I thought maybe we're writing this wave. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe it happened in a previous uh, crossover event or something. There was there was maybe one cover in the last two weeks that had a spoiler of the the new Punisher skull logo um, with the with the hand insignia kind of built into it. But this, I think, this is the beginning of the story. I think that is an interesting point to bring up as we talk about this book the kind of conceit about this book going in the advertisements from the last couple of months have been that he's got a new logo on his chest and he does take over the the hand is what we learn in this uh the organization of ninjas that i don't actually know a tremendous ab about i just know that like when they crop up in daredevil stories i think they um, were created for daredevil right is that true Romy? uh yeah yeah and they were the inspiration for the foot and teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah. okay yeah 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 um, yeah um, but, but yeah, yeah sorry, Roman. Yeah, I think Frank Miller created them in his first run of Daredevil. Oh, okay. They're he real similar to like the League of Assassins, right? <clears throat> yeah, just like a super 
super covert ninja group that operates worldwide. But the interesting thing in this book is he's replaced his Punisher skull logo with this sort of like variation on a skull, sort of like a demon head, but it's like the hand logo. And I can't help but think that this book is sort of coming out in an attempt by Marvel to change some of the logoing of the Punisher away from the skull that a bunch of chud heads and mm-hmm. you know shitty cops and blue lives matter people are saying they're just using on their I don't know trucks yeah. and shitty shirts and it seems like an attempt to move their brand away from that does that seem like that I mean they got a great writer on to do it and a good artist um I can't so think of a single other motivation that Marvel would have to change that logo because that is one of their most iconic logos. Marvel, I think traditionally doesn't have a lot of great icon logos. Like you can have a Batman image and it's Batman. You can have a Superman image is Superman. But when you try to think of Marvel ones, it's like an X in a circle from the nineties is as good as it gets until you hit the Punisher skull, which is super identifiable immediately. Yeah. The and so fantastic for four it, symbol, but yeah, me. you're right. That's actually a really good point. Spider-Man <laughs> symbol kind of, but it's just like the back on his, like the symbol on his back. That's, that's an interesting point. Jay. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but I totally agree. Um, so this, this book came out and it seems like kind of timed and maybe that some of it is related to moving the Punisher away from that brand. Branding at a pretty integral time. But that being said, it the art is gorgeous and the mm-hmm. characters are well written. And I thought it was paced really well. And there was a very smooth blend of like well-paced action, but also like intriguing things around the actions. So like that, it sets up a mystery without needing to do a lot of expositional groundwork. Like, how did he become the hand? And we bounce between a couple time frames. And there's an introductory scene. Oh, the introductory scene is is where it's like a flashback to when his wife dies. Yeah, I didn't realize that was his wife until now. Super rough, like because it's it's all point of view um, and it's Frank right after his whole family's been shot up and the paramedics arriving and his his wife basically dying in front of him and his kids already dead. And like I almost put the book down because I thought it might be a little more than I was ready to handle that night um because because that scene was just so so immediate i guess yeah they ha- i don't think they've done that maybe garth ennis did somewhere but i have, don't remember reading that um <clears throat> that moment in his history as being so visceral no mm-hmm. pun intended i mean the way the the emts and everything are describing uh the various you know biological mm-hmm. damage in front of them that they had to deal with and everything we haven't heard all that before apparently the kids were all chopped up by the bullets yeah yeah like triage in real time there I think that that's just like in terms of comic book storytelling, one of the best intros to an issue, like a sort of a start of an issue there's been, we get these four, three or four pages by an three pages by an alternate artist explaining the scene of his family's death that caused him to kind of break and become the Punisher. I didn't even immediately place that until now. And then it cuts to one of the most beautiful montages of comic book art I've seen in the pages of a comic book in a really long time. There's just a double page spread of a ton of amazing panels and iconic covers from the Punisher from the last, you know, I don't know, is it 50 years? Um, mosaic over this gorgeous page. And it just says Frank Castle is the Punisher. And it just kind of effectively gets you up to speed on the Punisher, you know, in so much as it shows you these moments and then cuts right into the story. I just, that mosaic on page four and five, like just put me right in. I was like, okay, totally. Yeah. I, I don't really like this character, but there's all these iconic moments and I'm, ready to you know support the cool parts of him it's such good art and looking at it like each one evokes a very specific time in the punisher's run 
And then the interior art, like the, the main artist is spectacular. It's, it's like almost painterly, almost a little bit charcoal-y. Almost digital. <clears throat> yeah, almost digital, but, but just very, very well done. And the violence is pretty freaking badass. And one of my favorite touches in this is when he gets in the fight with the hand in his apartment and he's just like shooting them and beating them up and punching them. And then he uh, makes it to the fridge and he opens it up and his refrigerator's just got like six knives hanging out in it and yeah. some takeout. And that's it. <laughs> um, and there's a great spoiler at the end of this that I think we should just save because I do think that this book is, if you have been on the fence about the Punisher or don't know, um, I think this is a good one to check out. And I think the spoiler mm -hmm. is very fun to get to. I guess yeah. my big question is, uh, Django, there's a lot of swords in this book. Mm -hmm. Punisher uh, uses a sword. Yeah. How do you feel about yeah. that? I'm okay with it. Um, you don't like swords historically. They sure don't add much for me most of the time. But Roman, you I, like a sword, right? You're pretty much an, a, a trained I, I, swordman. I like, I like swords. Swords, katana, all that. Any kind of sword I like better than guns. But I also think that's part of, and the Punisher is supposed to be a, able to use a lot of weapons. His specialty is guns, but I think that's part of them... Uh, shifting his brand a little bit is is he's mm. got swords strapped on him now and he still uses guns but he also uses the swords and daggers i just love like i don't know who's more hubristic here the punisher thinking he can beat like two dozen foot clan members in his tiny apartment or the foot clan thinking that they can bring two dozen swords to a gunfight. <laughs> i it's agree a fight. Yeah. It's, it's a great a, fight and even before that um before we even get to that scene i like the introduction i think it's the introduction of a new um bad guy weapon you know weapons dealer faction these guys in suits and uh greek helmets based in greece and it must be aries behind it i mean the one dude is the punisher's face it down yeah. and he, he said oh no the, the boss will do worse than kill me and it's got to be aries because aries can send you to hades to be tortured forever that's a fun idea i didn't think about that room but you're right the helmets would indicate that and that's also a cool type of villain i think for mm -hmm. the opposition of the hand you know like, yeah um i love also just sort of like at one point he tries to cut a guy's throat and he just like the guy like grabs his throat and is bleeding he's like huh, not very good with this thing yet and then he just like cuts through his heart <laughs> you're like oh he's not great with it um I really like it. If my enthusiasm doesn't seem to match the score, it's just because it's been a couple of days since I read it, but I think I'm going to give it a nine. I think it's one of the best books I read this week. Um, yeah. Yeah. What did I'm you guys think? Right there with you. Nine. Yeah. I really liked when uh, they go back to the hands headquarters and the contrast with the Punisher's crappy apartment in New York. And now his quarters here, which actually has like, you know, a bed on a platform. And, and I love the fact he's got a little altar set up with his old Punisher, uh, chest armor and the logo up there an altar a little nod to that and goodbye to it that was interesting to me i thought if you're trying to move away from the symbol why sort of exalt it within the story but I, it it's makes good. sense from a narrative standpoint but from the yeah. the legalese of them being like we got to get this symbol away from our superhero brand because racist conservatives are co-opting it but like it seems like they want to <laughs> brush it under the yeah mat. but I, I think it's a smart way of doing it though because they know they can't just boom pretend okay that symbol has nothing to do with the punisher so it's yeah, a way of like you're right acknowledging it and you know but it's in the but acknowledging it's in the past and yeah that, that's a good point and i think that if they were to be like we're not using it at all you'd get those people who were like bring back my punisher you know yeah. like yeah. and if you hear they're like no we respect <laughs> that but we're moving in a different direction like that's a little less abrupt for maybe the chuds it'll be interesting I, yeah to i just see. i just hope those chud bastards don't co-opt the new symbol also I hope they do. And then we can go back to the old one because the old yeah. one is better. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, hey, before we move into little, little monsters, 
before we oh. head in a new direction with little monsters and we get Roman's did, score. Did I say I gave it a nine? You just did. Okay, nine, nine point five. I mean, oh. 9.5. It was pretty Shwing. awesome. God, I'd eat a. Never mind. Um, Swing. That's the sound of a sword being drawn. Yep. It's also the sound from Wayne's sure world. Is. Hey oh, yeah. guys, Andrew here. This is a little delayed because I've been having such bad ADHD that I forget to actually record my voicemail every week. Um, but I think it was Judd who a while back had talked about lettering. Um, and if we had known any like letterers that stuck out to us and one that has been sticking out to me recently um, is Aditya Big Bitty Car. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, they've been doing a ton of stuff. I think they did Arkham City, Order of the World. Um, they did These Savage Shores and um, Black Stars Above, which those of us in the book club have contentious feelings about um, positive and negative. Uh I've done several of the I did the Jimmy TIV Batman stuff, um, including I think did some Nightwing stuff even. Um, but yeah, I, I, really interesting letterer, um, and I really think it's important how like I feel like lettering gives the voice to the character in many ways. Um, like you see Dormammu talk with like those weird that particular set you, you saw it in Strange Number One this last week. Um, when Clea was talking, but those of the Faultine have that this like special font that uh, letterers use. Um, so I think it it kind of adds a particular voice to a character. Um, or I've seen Aditya Bidikar do things like invert the colors, um, where it's a black background, black speech bubble with maybe some like black Kirby dots or something with white text. Um, and I mean, not saying that they're the only artist that has done that or literary that's done that, but um, I mean, David Rubin does interesting things like that. Um, I swear I've seen Clayton Cowles do some interesting things with that on like a Tom King, Mitch Garrett's book, um, but maybe I'm making that up. But yeah, no, I just, I think lettering's a really interesting and definitely overlooked art um, and something I try to pay more attention to. Just like, I think colors are something that I, I mean, I've talked about it before, but I try to pay more attention to colors and how important they are to a piece and seeing how much they do the heavy lifting, um, which quick shout out to our book club again. Um, Reckless is one where I feel like the colors are doing so much of the heavy lifting. Um, and if you want to hear us talk more about that, join the book club next time the, Reck the next Reckless book comes out. They're all one yeah. shots. So you can pretty much just hop on whenever. Um, anyways, that's enough of me uh, giving a spiel. Um, thank you guys every, for everything. Uh, fantastic podcast as always, um, although I'm slightly biased as I am editing it now. Um, but yeah, no, have a great one. Andrew, Wait, awesome. And he's editing it? <laughs> um, yes. Django, you know, a different version of me may have made a disparaging comment about, you know, like sort of you know, the the weight that you're carrying for the podcast and and stuff, but not not this guy. No, 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 no. Like True confessions follow up to the Disney 2002 original movie starring Shia LaBeouf based on the novel. Um, uh, no, True Confessions. I'm using this as a platform to help bolster you, my friend. Um, Andrew, that's a fantastic uh point aditya bidikar here's just i'm looking at their website up to 2019 here is a list of their lettering credits assassinistas black cloud graffiti's wall 
Isola, Little Bird, Punk's Not Dead, These Savage Savage Shores, Motor Crush, and Versus. So every single one of those, except for maybe Gravity's Wall, is one that we've talked about on the podcast. So and um, most of them have that reversed out text, I think. At times, which is for interesting, sure. yeah, because that, that that's something that I feel like a lot of letterers kind of steer clear of. Mm-hmm. So, so great point. Thing. I love looping back on it. Thanks for being wonderful, Andrew. Uh, let's get into Little Monsters, which does a little bit of interesting things with the colors and text as well. This is written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Gwynn. Roman said it before we started recording the podcast, not to steal his sentiments or anything, but I think it's a great way to go into this conversation. He said he experienced, a, he was saw this, and he was like getting a little bit of Jeff Lemire burnout. And I am someone who's also experienced a fair amount of Jeff Lemire burnout. I am not Django, who's amazing and wonderful and intelligent and funny and capable. I'm just a Jeff. And this Andrew, Jeff, you can you can edit that stuff out, right? And this Jeff <laughs> loves a good Jeff Lemire story, but there's a lot of Jeff Lemire stories, and they're not all of the caliber that he can produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the creative team behind Descender and Ascender books that I did not follow through on, but he did just wrap May's book, which was one of my favorite books of the last year. And he's always doing black hammer, which is incredible. It's, it's incredible how varied his body of work is, but um, I I'm curious. Let's let uh, how you guys felt about little monsters automatic 10, because the first page is a character named Romy. The end. Yeah. I thought about you the whole time reading yep. it, buddy. Yep. All right. Well, that's Roman's review. Um, it's also the exact same character from Descender, it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> no, just fucking. Just a, little, just a little kid walking through the dirty, broken down city. Um, I was really impressed with the art in this. I, I was too. I haven't really seen Dustin Wynn do something in this style before. And, you know, like with the the, the kind of, it's a weird sized halftone for all the skies. Like it's, it's a little finer than what most people use when they're using halftones for texture and a little bit bigger than what you would use if you were trying to hide it. And I just thought that the, the way that the pages came together and the way that the mostly gray tones were used clicked really well for me. And, you know, Jeff Lemire's just, for my money, he's just real good at writing kids. I can't say that I think he writes animals as well as he writes kids, but he writes kids really, really well. You know, it's interesting to have Naomi come out this week as well, Django, on this this <laughs> same week of this book, because I'm going to harken back to a conversation we had years ago about halftone dots and zipatone. And it was at a stage where I think both of us knew a lot less about exactly what's being used here. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think is interesting is the time that we had that conversation, I think longtime listeners of the show know the outrageous argument that we're talking about when like Naomi three or something came out and we were talking about it. <laughs> um, but what happened, I think that, you know, the reason that that conversation happened at that time, um, is because we were, there was a lot more artists like the Daniel Warren Johnson's, uh, Riley Rosmo's there, there was just a ton Ed Piscor's an increase in the amount of like halftone and zipatone stuff going on, exploring that medium. And I think since we've had that conversation over the last like four years, I've noticed a real increase in the usage of that technique and how exploratory that technique has become. And I think so all of that to say, I totally agree with what you're saying, Django. This is like kind of an interesting exploration of that technique. And I think that you know, we really have been seeing over the last couple of years uh, an attempt to diversify that type of coloring, um, mm-hmm. that type of like shading or adding texture. And and here it's done in a way that I can't even fully understand. Like it, it's 
it it's done really well but it, it really like he he uses it a lot in the backgrounds to create the gradient of dark to light he's also using it in an interesting way with the twins ronnie and raymond so this is kind of hard to describe but um he's half toning the black lines on those two kids and he's not really doing it with any other characters so it's giving them kind of a softer dirtier more of a pig pen look and the mm -hmm. other characters have like like he would half tone it and then he would put the black ink over it so you get sharp outlines. But with those two characters, he's putting the halftone dots on those black outlines so those two kids have a different vibe from everybody else. And it's consistent throughout the book. Yeah, the Pigpin reference is a good comparison there. I, I totally agree. As someone who wants to use this platform, like bolster your opinions. Um, <laughs> and I think that the Fuck. art is like fantastic throughout it. Um, I mean, like, listen, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but I play the guitar. Um, <laughs> I'm a I'm a guy who plays the guitar, but but it You're is bolstering yourself too. It is seldom that I see in a comic book someone draw a guitar and hands on a guitar and like it looks and feels like a hand on a guitar. I think it's on page three is the close up of a hand. Mm -hmm. Like on, it's just like he was looking at a hand there. Like the fingers bend and crease correctly. Like the way that his body's hunkered over it, the way the guitar looks, the way the strings look, that made me happy because I just love guitars. And I Do you think you could play the song he's playing? Yeah, yeah. He's just doing a little Nirvana cover there. Yeah. Uh, that's Polly, buddy. He's covering Polly. This Three book chords. is about a bunch of kids who seem to be hanging out in a post-apocalyptic town waiting for the person who turned them into a vampire to show up. And they've been waiting there for years and years and years. Like how long? 100 years, 50 years, something like that. And yeah. I thought this was a really well-paced introductory to the characters. I don't think that it did a tremendous amount to put hooks in you to make you really want to read the story. Maybe mm -hmm. that was my read. But I think that Jeff Mir can kind of afford to do that because he's got such a you know locked-in fan base that uh, I think he can afford to do that with this. And I kind of appreciate that because this didn't do a ton of heavy lifting to sell the story to me. He was just like, if you're here, you're probably here. So I'm just going to paste this like I'd like. I personally would like a little bit more color in it. It's largely black and white. Dustin Gwynn, my longtime complaint is that he uses a lot more whites and like unfinished coloring in his panels than I like. Um, it makes me feel nude, like I need to bite my nails or something. But that being said, this is more appealing than like his Descender and Ascender look. He got around that uh, white background complaint of yours by half-toning them all. So they're just a little bit he not did, quite white. But even like there's lots of panels where like the road is just like, you know, all white or like yeah. he's just like, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's my own weird thing. It just makes me feel like things aren't finished. I think to your point of Jeff Lemire having enough of a fan base that he can pull off a book like this. I think you're right. I think uh, most other creators would need to put out a double-sized issue to sell the second issue. Mm -hmm. You know, like this this was enough, but his his books tend to be pretty light in the first issue and, and don't really start picking up until issue two or three. Yeah, that's a good point. Roman, what did you think about this one? So like, how did your Jeff Lemire um, kind of burnout fit in with this book? Because I think that Jeff, I, I also am the same way. I try all of his number ones and I feel really comfortable dropping them after number one if I'm not into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I actually wasn't was thinking of skipping this one because I thought it was just going to be kids in some post-apocalyptic wasteland and like, yeah, seen enough of that. But then Sean pointed out to me, oh, they're vampires, though. And that got me to read it. Um, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I liked it. I like everything you guys mentioned. I like that. I like Dustin Nguyen's artwork. Um, I like vampires. And I'm curious about 
this mystery and it has been a hundred years that they've been waiting for the elder okay, to come back. And I'm curious if I really like the sequence in back where they all have to go to bed because it's the sun's about to come up mm-hmm. and just shows each of their uh, domiciles while um, the one kid goes out looking for Romy who's disappeared. Love Romy. And, I, and I'm curious about, oh, how can you not? Come on. I know. Um, she didn't got the same haircut I had when I was a kid and now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I'm really curious, Ronnie and Raymond, that's got to be an in-joke. That's Ronnie Raymond was the real name of the original Firestorm. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So so it makes me wonder, so are these two kids going to get like fused together somehow later in the series hmm. um, as a, to further the in-joke? Roman, I really didn't realize it until you said it, but you're right. That like the final several pages, like when they all head back to their kind of like separate rooms, and they kind of reintroduces their names. Like they're all, all the spaces are very lived in yeah. and really reflect a different person's personality. Like Jeff Lemire yeah. is so good with character work and you can really see kind of the amount of the character just in the art of their room and the way that it's laid out. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, and a sudden mystery on the last page too. So cool. Um, What'd you give it? Where, what did I give it? Where's my score? My conversation caused me to boost it a 0.5. Yeah, I'll give it, boy. Me too. I think I'll give it an eight. Nice. I went from an eight to an 8.5 on this one. I, I'm at an eight and a half. And I, I would need to reread this and probably read the next couple of issues. But I wonder, I kind of wonder how much of this felt like kids and how much of it felt like 100-year-old people. Well, yeah, and that's an interesting thing about like I love about vampires, frankly, is like, what is an aging vampire? So if you look at like interview with a vampire with Matt or, well, you know, those people, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and the girl, that's the most interesting part. Kristen Dunst, like she is turned into a vampire as a, like a 12 year old and she's never able to mature past a 12 year old or really be able to consider Mm -hmm. like, or do you become a vampire and you do age, but you're still physically just in that body. And I love that distinction and every vampire story tackles that differently. And and so, yeah, you're you're totally right. As you know, like that, that's a great question on a podcast where I want to shine a light on your opinions and and, in your thought processes is. I was wondering. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that these kids are like kids or do you think that they're like hundred year old vampires? I think that's such a good question. So what I really like is to think about like vampire stories in general. You've got like interview with a vampire with uh, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and um, the, the girl, which was the interesting Kristen part about Dunst. this. Kristen Dunst. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like she is turned into a vampire as like a young teen and she never matures or ages beyond that. Whereas other vampire stories, you can become a vampire as a child and it's just physically that you're a child. You know, kind of like even like Black Hammer, Jeff Lemire story. Okay, sure. we're getting into it. Black Hammer, Gale, physically yep. a child intellectually analytically emotionally an old, old lady woman. asshole um my question is in this book i wonder if the kids are like kids or like hundred year old kids that's a good question it's like uh like interview with a vampire right with yeah uh, uh, kirsten brad dunst pitt. and brad pitt <laughs> somebody hey. get me out of here <laughs> it's groundhog's day hey roman let's get out of here can i talk to you about something real quick can I come? Can I bring you upstairs and talk to you? Something? Can we get off sales floor? And can I talk to you upstairs for a second? Oh, you want to talk about that kid in um, redneck? That's a uh, no. I want to talk about the kid. Looks like in she's twelve years old, but she's a couple hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting story idea to explore. Hey, um, I want to talk about a kid that fell into some ice, got frozen, and eighty years went by, and she was exhumed from the ice, and still seemed about the same age and emotional maturity. 
uh, Captain Carter. Like Cap- oh, I was going to say it sounds like Captain America, but no. No, it's different. Um, this is Jamie McKelvey and Marika Cresta and Erica Arseniega on colors doing Captain Carter number one from Marvel Comics. Jamie, as far as I know, I'm sure Jamie McKelvey has read, written other stuff. This was my first encounter with reading Jamie McKelvey's writing. Um, and it is handling a character, uh, Captain Carter, who showed up, I think, at first in Exiles by Al Ewing and then got the show, like the episode in Marvel's What If, although I have not seen Marvel's What If. And then there's this. Does that sound like the right line of of origin for this? Yeah. Well, except that she, I think she first appeared in, uh, you know, the Captain America movies, the World War, the first one, the World War II one. Um, And then she, I think in Exiles, they made her, uh, a, a superhero because hmm. on another earth she became captain america um well not captain america she's british but she became the super soldier um and then they worked her into some other comics exiles and that and then then she had a show the last i think one or two seasons and then she was in what if and i think she's been in a couple one-shot comics oh that kind of shit thing. so she was in agents of shield i don't i don't know if she was in eight she had her own show called captain carter Okay. It's, I have a, I, and it's actually it's one of the few Marvel shows I haven't watched. It's it's next on my list to watch because it's on Disney Plus. Agent Carter. Or yeah, Agent Carter. Yeah, Agent. Okay. Sorry, okay. Captain Carter's okay. the comic. Agent Carter. Right. And she. Okay. 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 So we're getting into the weeds of this year. But the we're same. The, the same actress from the Captain America movies. Right. And that's Peggy Carter. And yeah. is she like the daughter of Sharon Carter? No, actually, Sharon Carter's her daughter. Okay. Peggy Carter. Peggy Carter was Captain America's love during okay. world war ii and they were separated so 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 there's peggy carter and she's been around but i think that the first time she was like captain america or like a captain person was in exiles right i, I think so in exiles, okay yeah. okay okay but she is yeah so this character has been around but she hasn't existed as like a this is kind of like doing the spider gwen thing with her I think giving... this is the first time she's been called this name. Okay. She wasn't called that in Exiles, but she was the similar character. Right. And she had Becky, Becky Barnes, I think. Anywho, yeah. anywho. Um, all of that's very interesting. Yeah, I guess the best comparison is just sort of like Spider Gwen, like kind of a multiversal story about a different version of a character that had a, a basis pre-existing. Um, what did you think about this issue, Roman? I really enjoyed it. It, it was a fun i mean i liked her in the captain america movies and in exiles like i said i haven't watched her show yet um but i liked i actually liked it more than i thought i would there was some great um just some great explanation here of of them finding her in the ice i like the fact that unlike steve rogers he wasn't just you know floating in the ice and then namor found him and and beat up some inuit with him and then left him sitting on the ice shelf mm-hmm. this they find they find her because she was frozen in the ice cliff that when i think the russians were trying to excavate for oil or something they found baron zemo's plane and agent carter frozen in the ice and it sets up a good uh 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 international fight because the russians and the americans and britain are fighting over well who gets captain carter now she's a british citizen so of course she's going to end up going with britain but russia but russia wants her as a under salvage rights <laughs> even though she's a human being and i just really liked that political fighting about her um and also her dealing with they, there were some great captain america stories in the 60s where he was so sad because he was you know a man out of time and everybody he knew was dead bucky with the last memory he had was bucky getting blown up and there's just some great sad cap stories that stanley and jack kirby did and and this 
touches on that, but it's not, but it's not quite as sad because as far as we know, Agent Carter or Captain Carter didn't have a, a sidekick. I I'm glad that you dug it. I and hearing you talk about it and even just sort of revisiting it, I liked it a little bit more than my initial reaction when I was reading it. Uh, what really stood out to me in the first half of reading this was that it felt a lot like Jamie McKelvey's first big writing attempt um, because it felt really, really wordy and kind of like needlessly so, like kind of not, not trusting one's words. I really like the story beats. I really like the neighbor that she has, I like the interactions that she builds with her. I like the political stuff that you described. I like the way that I, I like the second half a lot more when the pace sort of hastened up a little bit and there was some action beats and then some like friend beats where she's kind of like outed within the public. Um, I felt like the first half, like kind of leaned a little, like I know Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey are British. So like, it seemed like it leaned a little bit hard. I'm like, these are British terms. Like, look at, don't forget that these are British terms. Like they use one, like, you know, like three times or so. Um, but I don't think it was poorly written. I think that the story is plotted really well. I just, it had the trappings of someone who um, maybe has drawn a lot of comics and there's like just a little bit, like a little bit more words, a little bit less faith that what's, happening is going to get conveyed um i worried about that at first when i took a glance at it but it's interesting that i i thought it flowed better than uh say like chris claremont's dialogue oh I, yeah you, flows I, for I, me now yeah that's actually a great point roman i think so, yeah i think I like, look looking back at claremont stuff doesn't work for me really at all anymore it's really hard to get it and this is better than that for sure yeah yeah he and claremont always uses the same kind of words even and i liked it in high school but now looking back and I like the and they had little bits in here that I like like uh Lizzie Braddock is assigned to her and I was mm -hmm. like oh that's Captain Britain's sister um Betsy Braddock um so I was like oh cool but I don't yeah. know what I guess this is kind of an alternate reality then so that's the big of. thing I would say is that I think that they needed to designate which earth this was at some point because this can't be our earth yeah. right it can't be like they, right. this character doesn't exist. Becky Barnes and Bucky Barnes couldn't exist in the same world. Maybe the spider Gwen stuff didn't specify it was a separate earth, but I kind of feel like it did. And I think it and, did. And I think that what is cool about this is this is a cool thing to be able to hand to somebody who doesn't know anything or saw the show, doesn't know anything about the character that is, or saw the show or came into a comic shop to pick it up. But I think the whole thing kind of presents as maybe it's happening in the main Marvel universe and that would be impossible. So um, I think some clarification for that is important because it would, it, it you know, if you don't know about Elseworlds or the Spider-Gwen reference or the What If show, like this would be really hard to reconcile in one's head. Not that that's incredibly important, but I, I, I think that they need to clarify that. Outside of that, it, it was it was fun and the only shortcomings I saw with it were the execution of the writing strictly itself. But even hearing Roman kind of talk about it actually makes me soften on that criticism a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think they need to clarify that a little because, you know, like Betsy Braddock, she's she's on Krakoa. She's a she's a mutant. Right. Um, but not in this. So, yeah, I'm real curious. I can't and I can't remember. I should have looked it up. What else Jamie McKelvey has written? Because I know that name. He's the artist from like Young Avengers and oh. Wicked and Divine. He's he's an artist. He's he has done tons of art with Kieran Gillen. So, um, th and that's why I bring that up. As I, yeah. it it feels like someone who has drawn a lot of comics and is now being kind of encouraged to write some comics, but is uh, maybe be being given higher profile books than their acumen would suggest if they didn't already have a leg in. I just realized on the cover that his name is in one of the shards of paper that she's bursting through. Yeah. That's, and that's he, cute. He does the art on the, the, the cover there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. He's got a ton of works 
that he's done the art in and games even, but I'm not seeing any writing credits outside of this. So, um, but we'll see. I bet, I bet he'll get more. And that's, that's very good. I, I, I want him to get better at it for sure. I, I think that he'll, I think that he, once he gets a little bit further into it, he'll realize where he can cut the fat and stuff. So I'm going to give this one a 7.0 Roman. You, you nursed me from a 6.5 to a seven. <laughs> All right. Um, I give it 8.5. Hell yeah. That's great to hear. I'm glad that you dug it so much, dude. Like really, I, uh, I went into, and I also just haven't seen the, what if I haven't seen the references for that. So I, it, the character fell on deaf ears for me, but I also want to check it out just sort of as a part of this Django Apache delivery service. Number three, Matt Kent, Tyler Jenkins. We've talked a lot about this series so far. We don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but you and I both read this issue and Roman, um is still not reading this book he read number one he's waiting to read it in trade which is a great call um i just thought he would be more excited about it giving our overlap of interest so uh pardon me but you can hear a little bit of uh dejection in my voice if you listen i, I, I promise i'll read it all you don't have to i just wanted to share this with you so did we talk about how this series has a sensitivity consultant asby white calf no but there that has happened in a different book as well within the last like year and a half i, I feel like that yeah, we talked think, about that that's right yeah. i think that's a cool thing to to do especially when you're dealing with um like this is this is definitely cultures that matt kent isn't yeah there's a cultural in. consultant and a sensitivity <laughs> consultant they're different people yeah we're dealing yeah. with a lot of like marginalized people within this book and the way that's represented within history so we're talking about vietnamese people and we're talking about native americans so and then we're all talking and about nazi the, gold and nazi gold and then all of it through the lens of sort of american so yeah that's that's awesome i i feel like it was a year or two ago that we talked about on the podcast a book that had yeah. a yeah sensitivity consultant and speaking of books that have interesting lettering this lettering is different than a lot of it and there's a point where somebody screams what are you doing and it's just huge and tyler jenkinsy um i almost feel like this comic tries a little bit to change genre with every issue or give you uh, a zig when you expected a zag and i'm I'm digging it. I'm not having a super easy time keeping track of uh, like when I guess what happened in the previous issue. So I'm I'm playing catch up for the beginning. And then by the time it wraps up, I'm excited for the next issue. And, and I know I'll forget about what what was going on. But each one is pretty compelling. And I like the is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy situation that goes on throughout this one? And the the flashbacks are interesting. The booby traps are great. Like, yeah, super, super well crafted, which is kind of what you expect from Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins at this point and Hillary Jenkins, too. Yeah. What a what a crew. What an amazing crew. I would say that the art in this one seems for the first time a little bit rushed, a little bit not detailed, like the faces, especially in the final third of it. You're seeing just some like very blank faces, just Tyler Jenkins, I think, does a lot of detail in his work. You look at Grass Kings, and this is like the first time I've been like, oh, those are kind of some pretty basic features, but not a strict complaint. And this and whole series has felt like he was drawing it at 100% instead of 150 or 200% to me. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, like it, it is. Yeah, it's uh, like more zoomed in and then zoomed out or something. Um, yeah. Uh, mm. I haven't had any trouble tracking it. You know, like he's in Vietnam. He's with his crew. He decides to defect from them. He finds a guy. They're going to go look for treasure. They fall into a trap. It's from some witches. And then they're, he, they wake up and they've been kidnapped. And uh, one of the buddy, the guy that he meets gets out and wants to start torturing the women. And that's a, a moral thing that he can't get on board with because kind of this, the that harkens back in this issue and the first issue, the hunting of like an innocent deer and what his father taught him about that. And like, you know, what murder does. 
I really liked the bit of almost silent storytelling that goes on when they're like, you know, captured and they're in the dark room and the dude that had found him that recruits him frees his hands. And he says, yeah, I'd love to take a look at this place. A little help. And the guy has a kind of silent panel. He's like, hey, what's going on? You're going to free me. And there's another silent panel. And then he sighs and like frees the guy. And it's just like mm-hmm. everything up until that point seemed like that guy was, want you know, trustworthy. And then without any words. Right. And in three panels, they were able to make us understand that, like, at some point, this guy is probably going to betray this guy to, like, steal this gold. And yeah, um, that's good comic booking. That's great storytelling. If you don't have to tell me and you can show me, you know, that's the strength of this medium. And I love the way that it's kind of uh, overlapping with this story with him and his father in this car accident the whole time. So I really yeah. love it. I, I think it's a really incredible blend of things I really care about, like the Vietnam mm-hmm. War and the history of that and just the chaos of that time. Um, you know, the cultures of the indigenous people in America and then kind of the way that America fucked everyone horribly. And like, everyone I, don't we mean touch. That, I don't mean that lightly, but like it just this, you know, like the Vietnam War is the perfect lens in my mind to kind of explore the real fallibility of our country and the way that it treats mm-hmm. other cultures. So I, I, I love this book for its exploration of that. And uh, um, yeah, I, I think this is the least I've liked one of the three issues, but I would still give it an 8.5. I'm going to give it an eight. And uh, I just want to remind everybody, you should read Snowblind. The first time Tyler Jenkins was on my radar. And I think we still have some trades in the store. I was thinking about Snowblind while I was reading this volume. I was thinking about like trying to compare this to that. And he also did Grass Kings with writer. But um, hey, Django and Roman, you guys, I'm behind on the Marvel, the Wolverine books. We went to Comics Pro and that one Wolverine book that week didn't get read by me. So I'm behind on everything. (laughs) Can you tell our friends about that story? And then we're going to talk a little bit about the trial of the Amazon. Yeah, so like... Roman, I'm sure you kept up with these, but I was four issues behind when comics came out this week. And I sat down and read all four of them really tired. And after like two beers the other night and just had the most fun I've had with superhero comics in a long time. Um, So it's like two intertwined series, X lives and X deaths. And I think you could read one without the other, but I think that they both make the other one a little bit better. This week, X Lies of Wolverine number four brings us to a time when Wolverine is uh, like in the Weapon X program. And I just love the aesthetics of that horrible, greasy, bearded doctor who's experimenting on him. Um, That's one of my favorite times of Wolverine. It's got a just a wonderful reveal of Wolverine as Null um, Mm. and lots of cool stuff happening in like bomber jet fights and a saber tooth battle and just... It's it's just like fighty, punchy, almost Donny Catesy sort of Wolverine action. I really like that that issue that it that did a callback to. Uh, I think it was Donny Donny Cates who wrote that um, uh, Venom v- one Venom. Yeah, that Venom one shot with and with that established that Wolverine was before he got that adamantium. They experiment on him and stuck some symbiotes in him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but just seeing him like sit up in this yeah. was was super weird and creepy. And especially with that doctor who just looks like he's always on LSD to me. Yeah. You know, doc- like he's, he's such a creep. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Corn- Dr. Cornelius, which I forgot there was a Dr. Cornelius involved in Wolverine's past. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like the art on that one is Joshua Kassara and it, it really evokes the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X stuff without looking like Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X. Yeah. Which I think fir- is really cool. Yeah. That first overhead shot of Wolverine in that, in that, body cradle whatever thing yeah i was like wow <laughs> yeah and then and then when we get to the part where he's fighting Sabretooth, i feel like it's it's trying to look 
a little more like Joe Casada. Oh, you know, yeah. like the the art in this. Yeah, it's it does a really good job of of putting you in that time period that Wolverine is in. Yeah. Um, and then the X Deaths of Wolverine is kind of like a a sneaky Moira story, and this one has some really grotesque, weird stuff where she like skins Banshee's face so that she can sneak onto Krakoa and and uh like the very last panel has an insane reveal that goes back to Hickman's X-Men um I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it so ear earmuffs Jeff but like when when Wolverine says we are phalanx like I got super excited for that Roman yeah it, it, well, yeah well I'd be kind, kind of hitting at that with this series um yeah and that was cool Overall, I, I don't really. I'm reading X Deaths of Wolverine because I want the whole story. But but overall, I'm I'm not really into X Deaths because I think I said before the last time we talked about it. I realized with every issue of this series that I'm like, you know, I don't like Moira being a bad guy. I mean, mm-hmm. in anything else, I was like, I'd be like, wow, that was wild, like slicing, skinning Banshee's face off and using it. That, but I hate that Moira did it because in my head, she's still like, oh. Professor X is, you know, long lost love. She's a good guy, good person. Mm-hmm. And of course, Banshee will be back. He'll get resurrected. Um, but now he's going to have that horrible trauma memory of having his face skinned off by one of his oldest friends. Wait, someone's yeah. face got skinned off? Yeah. yeah. It was, it was I was Banshee. avoiding spoilers because I haven't oh. read it yet. Uh, I'm going to give you here. a... I'm going to give you a not spoiler, Jeff. Okay. I mean, just a, I can't just a wait very to read mild it. mild spoiler. Um Wolverine lobotomizes somebody in here. And I realized that like love it. Lobotomization is something that really freaks me out. I don't Oh, I love that. I hate I do. it. And so sorry, I, I, I love knowing that about you is what I mean. I love it. <laughs> I want to use this comment at some point, aren't you? Just love, well, no, I just love using this podcast as a platform to get to know you more, strengthen your voice, and send it out kind of like a radio transmitter to, to the world. I, I needed to catch up on that this week. Um, instead, I read an entire paperback of Deadly Class. I read volume 10 so that I can be caught up Dang. on Deadly Class. What were your I'm scores a, for Wolverine? Eight, eight and eight for me. Um, Lies of Wolverine, I gave it eight. Deaths of Wolverine, I gave it six. Wow. Well I, also, well, I also hate the art of Deaths of Wolverine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't it's... care for the art in that series, but I love, 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 love the art in the first one. Mm. The the Kassara art. If that's I yeah. like them. Yeah. I couldn't choose style. one over the other. I like them both quite a bit. Yeah. Mm. Good, good comic booking. Like this is just straight up superhero nonsense and it's perfect. <laughs> and like I told Jeff, I kept flipping to the front page to see who wrote this because i i I've, it, it just feels like big huge action and and that's not something i ever really associated with benjamin percy in this way yeah since the dawn of x stuff he's blown me away um and he's also doing some non-action stuff i forget what it is that's really good he's he's phenomenal um yeah he's, he's high on my radar now um guys I just want to share a thing I did uh before the buck shots and we're also going to talk about trial of the amazon before the buck shots but um I and I I want to be a champion of somebody who just drops into a comic book series. I think that's a really important part about comics. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast or anyone on this podcast started reading comic books by making sure they started at issue number one. Like we all just <laughs> read the shit that was around us and started reading it. And I think that the world tells us we need to start at number one and know things complete, like, you know, comprehensively, but I don't think that's how we got into this game. Um, so I just decided to like take a couple risks and read a couple series this week that I was not caught up on. Um, but one of those 
was Strange Academy. I read Strange Academy number 17 by Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos. Don't love Humberto Ramos's art, uh, like Scotty Young's writing. Have a little bit of baggage about this series because it's been like such a speculator book for a while. And I don't know, you know, as I was saying that in my head, I was like, yeah, it's a speculator, but I was thinking about what I would say about this while reading it. And then I was thinking like, well, what, you know, if somebody was like, it sounds like you mean that as a negative thing. What would you say to that, Django? Like, yeah, Strange Academy has been a speculator, like speculators are getting it. It sounds I like think, you're saying something negative. I just want I was thinking about like, what I think we- it's only really a negative thing from the perspective of a store that has pretty tight ordering and is disappointed when readers can't get their hands on things because somebody who's just looking to flip it isn't going to do that before they before we place our orders. So there's just not enough on the shelf for this book to gain new readers until reprints or the trade comes out. So, and we're, we're not emotionally immune. Like we're a little bitter at times, but it kind of feels a little bit like a hipster being like, yeah, well, I like them at the original album. Or like, I don't, there's just something sort of like, yeah, well, you're not getting it to actually read it. You're getting it to sell it. Like, anyway, we're getting into a very deep conversation about sort of like the morals of buying something to sell it and whether it's merited or how not. But anyway, as I was it's like reading two this levels, it's, it's a couple levels. And uh, I think it's easy to disparage it, but it's also easy to be like, that's how the person digs the thing that they like. So I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting question. And I, uh, I think if anyone ever is interested, they should go to the comic shop that they go to. And ask the people working what they think about speculators. If you want to know about it, know yeah. about it. It's a huge part of working in a comic shop. And uh, um, it's a huge part of our lives dealing with it. And yeah. and and needing to create a sort of moral stance about it is difficult. It's a whole different stage than dealing with it. And we spend so much time dealing with it. I'm not really sure how we feel about it um, personally. But anyway, Strange Academy has been a big book that people who like to buy comics and then try to sell them for an increased profit have been buying. They've been scooping them up for a a year or so now, which to Mm -hmm. me says that we should have been ordering more for like a year or so now. (laughs) But this is a book that doesn't have many subscribers, which is probably trust it like you can't. You can't trust that the next issue is going to be like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, is there another first appearance in it? So anyway, I just decided to get in here. Issue 17. I read it all. It's a pretty great, it's kind of, it reminds me of like Gotham Academy. If you read that a number of years ago when that was coming out, it's a good instance of taking a bunch of Marvel characters and putting them in a young situation, but they're like the children of characters and young people. Roman, have you read this book? I read the first issue. Okay. Didn't okay. Care, I didn't care. Didn't care for it. Yeah. Me neither. I, mean, I don't even remember if I read the first issue. I was a little bit butthurt, but it just seems like the kind of thing that I could be like, Roman, are you reading this? He'd be like, I've read every single issue. Um, it's well-written kids. Scotty Young writes mm-hmm. young teens really well. You got the son of Dormammu in here. You got Brother Voodoo as a teacher. And then a bunch of kids I just don't know and characters I don't know. But as this issue was going, I was like, man, it seems like some big stuff is happening. This seems like a big deal. Really nice action sequence. Really nice character work being done without beating you over the head with it. Just like dialogue-based character development that doesn't feel at all like exposition is trying to be leaked into the writing. It all feels like words that would naturally be said. And so I just Mm -hmm. want to say, I think Scotty Young 
an incredible artist harking back to the Jamie McKelvey you know, thing. I think he could totally get there with his writing, but this is an instance of like a, an artist who's transitioned to being a writer, who's very good at having combined, you know, being an artist and knowing what an artist needs to know from the writer to transition to a script and then going to a writer. So I think Scotty Young, really fantastic writer. And then the silly thing is in all of this, I was like, cool, I would be reading this book. I'm actually going to read the next issue of this book. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. The next issue seems to be the final issue of the series. <laughs> um, so this this was the penultimate issue of Strange Academy. The one issue I read was apparently issue 17 of 18. Um, I think everyone should check it out. I think if you like the books that if you've got a youngin in your home or if you like reading books that are well-written teens or kids, this is a good one. Uh, yeah, again, a la Avengers Academy, Gotham Academy, both of them have um, Strange Academy. Oh my God, all of them have Academy in it. Um, <laughs> holy shit. Uh, but all those Academy books are good. Um, if you like just sort of reading a younger focus, I, I would say it's probably something like uh, Teen Titans would have been maybe 40 years ago or something. You know, just mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I, I liked it. I'm going to give it a 7.5 or an 8. I bet it means a lot more to someone who's been reading the series. But I want to encourage everyone to check that book out. Um, I think the collections are available and you should you can get to the bottom of why speculators wanted it. I, I don't know yet. Roman, take me. Oh, take me to the trial of the Amazons, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. I was going to say, probably Sorry, Strange yeah. Academy probably introduces a bunch of new characters or something. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. And it's yeah, it would be it would probably be pretty fun to do a podcast all about the speculation market. Careful, bud. There's a lot of nuance there. Careful, it's bud. Yeah. Oh, not a, not an ongoing podcast, like a one shot. Oh, okay. Comics Place presents. I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. Speculators. Yeah, because I, I got a pretty um, unnuanced <laughs> opinion of speculation. I think that, yeah, <laughs> but, I think that comic store employees can. I certainly do. Oh, but yeah. Then I wonder. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm, sometimes I'm sometimes. I, no, sometimes I'm butthurt. I'm insulted by it because it's they're not into comics. They're in they're into making some quick cash, hopefully. And and. You know, they're not a fan of the characters or the stories or the stuff I love about comics. So they're not into the characters or the stories or the stuff that you love about comics, but But they know enough about comics to know what might make it valuable. Like they, they like it in a different way. Like I said, we should do a whole episode on this. Yeah. That's trading. Yeah. That's trading commodities. It's not loving comics. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's a great point. I, I, and that's my point is I'm of Roman's mind as well. And then there's the part of me that's like, well, I got to respect all viewpoints and I got to make sure everyone's nah. opinion is, you, <laughs> you got to be able to serve. You got to be able to serve all viewpoints to run you a comic store, but you don't have to respect it <laughs> to shine a light on the, the opinions of people that you have previously been have, tearing have down. Have you been listening and- to that stones? Uh, wasn't it the Rolling Stones shine no. a light? Because that's like the fourth time you use that phrase. <laughs> There's some kind of Rolling heard. Stones thing going on here. There is, there is, there is a documentary called Shine a Light, but I, I, yeah. I just want to make sure Django is nourished. Um, <laughs> Roman. Listeners, you should write in and tell us if we should do that podcast. If we get 10 votes for yes, we'll do it. Yeah, and also Django, we said something about people who write us emails are going to be entered for a drawing at some point. Uh, that's... Uh... <laughs> So, uh, that's a that's a really good idea. We <laughs> did that. So Andrew's on board <laughs> for that. We've been getting some emails. Make sure you sign in the subject matter contest entry. Um, <laughs> oh, Roman, new rule. <laughs> Roman, um, new directions. Roman, yes. Tell me about Trial of the Amazons number one. Gosh, you know, I tried this because it was a new number one event, DC event that wasn't a big cosmic event. Um, not expecting much out of it, and I really liked it. It's it's the, uh, the the there's three tribes of Amazons, you know, the Themyscirians and the the one Artemis was part of the more militant 
aggressive ones, the, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, the Bona Migdal. And then there's uh, the Esquisitas. And I apologize if I'm mangling all these <laughs> Greek and, and Spanish pronunciations. Um, but that's the tribe that the new wonder girl, Donna Flor, in Brazil, that's her tribe oh, of Amazons. Okay. They're, they're the lost Amazon jungle tribe. And uh, Donna Troy and Kat, Cassie Sandsmark, the current Wonder Girl, are kind of hanging out with them. So they've all been brought to Queen Nubia because Hippolyta has been hanging out with the Justice League. So Nubia became queen of the Amazons. She's called all the Amazons in the world back to Themyscira because they need to do their contests they do occasionally. To not only, um, I think, to, to one of the Bonham McDowell Amazons challenges her and says, you know, you have to prove you're worthy of being queen, not just have Hippolyta give it to you. And they also have to uh, find a new way of guarding Doom's doorway, which is this doorway to Hades that has horrible monsters behind it and everything. And there's great, there's just great tensions, like kind of a Game of Thrones level political tensions between the three different societies of Amazons. Because of course the Artemis's Amazons, the Bonham McDowell, they're militant. They don't like things that have been going on in Themyscira. They think all the Themyscira Amazons are wimps and soft and not real <laughs> warriors. Um, and, and their leader is just a, just a, a B word. Um, <laughs> there's just lots of great tensions with them. And then, you know, the Esquisitas show up and it's, they're fun and cool and the jungle Amazons. And there's just some great dialogue, some great insults from the, the nasty Amazons. Um, just some great jibes that we finally get to see when Hippolyta is there. We finally get to see something I don't think they've shown enough of with Amazons at DC that Hippolyta has a relationship with one of the other Amazons. And we actually finally get to see some of that, um, which is, I think, something they just haven't done with Amazonian culture culture. Grant Morrison kind of did it in his huh. Earth One stuff. And I thought it was really interesting. Good tensions. Um at the end of this, there's a, apparently a murder. And I don't think DC did a very good job of keeping that a mystery. Um just because all the promotion material they're like, oh, and Diana goes off on her own to to find out who did who who did this murder that's so personal to her. Well, okay, obviously Paulita ends up murdered. Um, and nobody knows who did it. So that's where things leave off on this issue. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked all the tensions. I liked the, the dialogue really surprised me. There's a lot of, uh, just some great biting insults and insights on different Amazons and the fact that, you know, Themyscira, Paradise Island, that these other two Amazon tribes, we don't know why the jungle tribe was lost, but you know, the Bana McDollians were exiled and I forget why. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, just a lot of great exploration of those kinds, of, starting to explore those kind of things. And it's got various writers. It's, I think, uh, I don't even know where the credits page is in this thing. Um, Stephanie Williams, Vita Alea, Joel Jones, Michael W. Conrad, and Becky Cloonan are the writers. So those wow. are the right. So those are the writers of the individual, like Nubia books and Wonder Woman and Donna Flores book, which is now over. Um, so they all combined in this. And what I was cool is I read each of those to a point. And each of them, I was kind of like, eh, there's things I like in each of these titles, but there's a lot of stuff I don't really care about. Well, this seems to have combined all the things I liked into one series without the weak parts. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting to me that Wonder Woman is like DC's third leg on the tripod of like, she's she's part of the Trinity and it's like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. And 
I've never really been able to find a story that I got into with Wonder Woman. It's a, a hard part about her story. I mean, she I think she does suffer a little bit from that Hawkman syndrome where they've redone her origin a lot of times yeah. to like attempt to try and get people interested in an increased amount. And I think in doing so, they have kind of minimized the impact of the origin because they've changed it or attempted to change it enough times. I'm not sure if right. that resonates with Roman. He knows more than I do, but um, yeah, and, and I... I know there's lots of Wonder Woman stories I've enjoyed, but I can't particularly name them. My George Perez's run right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, that was a great run. That's probably, if I was going to suggest to somebody, try, if they want to try Wonder Woman, try that run because mm-hmm. it's heavy on the mythology. It's, you know, his gorgeous art in his prime. Yeah. Roman loves an artist in their prime. Hey, um, Roman, what was your score for that? I gave it an 8.5. An 8.5? That's a pretty high score. Um, yeah, I was debating between that and a 9, and I settled an 8.5. A 9 is would be a very high score. So high, in fact, I would wonder if Jane would be able to talk about it in 90 seconds. Buckshot, go! Oh, gosh, I read The King of Spies. Number You were ready. One, number four. I was ready, baby. <laughs> uh, it's the last issue. It's a double-sized issue. It ended in a way that I didn't expect um nice and violent this this series really paid off for me mark mark miller and mateo scalera um well done you guys uh i also read the joker number 13 i'm i don't think this comic could have come out from dc a few years ago they're eating eyeballs they're throwing hot grease on people um the the cannibal through line in this series has been super weird and gross and uh i'm i'm into it uh, I also read Naomi number one, season two, and man, I think Bendis is a pretty fun writer. I like these characters. I like these people. I even like the dialogue. I think the dialogue's pretty good. Um, he could probably use a, a slightly updated, more modern, hip youth thesaurus. Uh, and finally, I read Red Room Trigger Warnings number one by Ed Piscor, and this book is disgusting and super super well done uh i i don't i think i've probably said this before but i would not feel right recommending this to anybody but if you don't mind some of the most horrific gore and just like disgusting brutal shit this book wins uh king of spies i'd give that a i'd give this issue an eight i'd give the whole series a nine the joker i'm gonna give this issue uh seven and a half naomi seven and a half and red room with the caveat that I would never do a single thing that anybody does on any panel in this book. Uh, With the lights on. <laughs> I, I give it a nine and a half. I think the craft in this book is almost perfect. And I, I don't even know why I'm docking at half a point. Maybe just, just in case the police ask. You can say, it's you only give it a nine like, and a half. Are people going <laughs> to cancel Ed Piscor? Is what I kept thinking while going through it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just wonderfully grotesque and and innovative in the violence and the gore that it propagates so well very well done edward piscori which i think is his full name it is the full name yeah the question though yeah for me Mm-hmm. is roman what do you got 90 seconds go oh geez uh nice. you know star wars crimson rain number three my favorite issue of this series so far i was actually thinking of wondering if i should continue reading it but this issue by uh, charles soleil um or soul however you say his name uh it's all about uh basically an archivist who used to be an archive for the emperor and stu- that studies the force and lost her and when the empire came into power she lost her job and it's just about her getting recruited into crimson dawn and the whole issue is her doing research because her first assignment is they want her to discover if yoda was really killed in order 66 or if he escaped 
And it's just Ooh. her using research, her research mm-hmm. methods to track down the truth about Yoda. And it's fascinating to me. It's, it's just so cool. Um, I read Hit Me Number One by Krista Faust and Priscilla Petriates. Um, it's it's a book about a, uh, she's not a pro, she's a sex worker. Um, and she specializes in uh, masochism, um, mm-hmm. getting beat up. That's why it's called Hit Me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm... I think it's Rel Witten. I like the art. Um, I, I guess it's interesting. The main thing I think it's cool that it exists is that like the write up in the back, um, writing about sex work and a different perspective on that and just kind of represent representing somebody that's a character that's does that for a living uh, BDSM. And, you know, I'm not into that. Um, it's, you don't it's, have to say that, bud. This is a safe space. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm getting to here. That's not, I'm not into that. It's not that interesting to me, but I think it's cool that it exists. It'd be, I like the anticipation. The anticipation of pain is what's interesting. The actual pain? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not into that. It's too tame. Well, I would say that I've <laughs> never thought about or been interested by any of that. And I want to make sure my mom who listens to this podcast knows that. <laughs> No, no, me and Django are the sickos here. I was going to bring Ted back into the room, but uh, I think he's gone for good. I'm a good boy. (laughs) Do you have scores for those, Roman? I do. Um, uh, I got to find them on my list. What did I just talk about? Crimson Rain, I gave a nine, actually. And Hit Me is... I gave a six, but that's just me. I think it's people should check it out. It's pretty interesting and new. Minute 30, Jeff, go. I read Naomi and Deadly Class. Um, Naomi, I mean, I read a slew of other things. But the ones I want to talk about are Naomi and Deadly Class. Naomi, I read Naomi number one, season two. Um, I really liked the first volume. Really liked this issue. It's been like two and a half years since that first volume ended. Bendis has been writing Justice League. Naomi was incorporated into the Justice League. She's got her own series now. They still did a good job of making her an interesting character be in the Justice League and now not answer a bunch of the questions posed at the end of her first miniseries that can now be answered in this miniseries uh probably my favorite thing bendis has done at dc outside of some of the superman stuff but uh i was ready to be the one person that liked this book amongst a slew of people who hated it and i might still be that but i I really like this i really like the art really like the story i I love it it's great teen writing he's good at that red deadly class volume 10 by rick remender this is issues 45 through 48 I love this book. Anyone who knows me knows I love this book. I fall behind on it and then I read it in paperback. It's fantastic. The art is incredible. Some of the best art in comic books. Some of the best storytelling in comic books. Um, it can take lulls at times, but it always makes me... I, I don't I don't eat a paperback of any book like I do Deadly Class. Every, t- every time it's in one sitting and I take the whole thing in and I love it and want more. Rick Remender, one of my favorite writers. Wes Craig, one of my favorite artists. Um, I'm working on hopefully if I can get my courage down and my confidence in check and able to do stuff, we're going to hopefully get Rick Mender in here for a podcast interview because this book is ending and I wanted to make sure I caught up on it. Naomi, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give an 8.5. I really like that book. I, it's like the best part of teen writing, like Riverdale, that show, Buffy, all that stuff. Like I love that type of story. Um, and this does it well. And then Deadly Class, I'm going to give a 9.5. Even when it's so nihilistic, it makes me frustrated and want to punch the writer and the main character. I'm able to remember that I feel that same way. So I'm glad that he's writing it. So um, <laughs> really, really fantastic. I absolutely adore it. Um, Deadly Class, so good. So good. Going to be really sad when that book ends in, in a 
number of months here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. One, this, something... a, this, this is the final arc again? Because I thought that the it's last the final... one was the final arc. Yeah, we all thought that. This is the final arc. And here's the confusing part I learned yesterday. It's two paperbacks long. So it's the final arc. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so it's going to end in like six months. No, 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 no. It's going to end in like 10 months. Got to get that uh, fourth hardcover out. Exactly. That's what I was saying when that third hardcover came in. I was like, how are they going to do it with just two paperbacks? It's going to be three paperbacks and it's going to have some, a bunch of extra material, but it's still just about my my favorite thing. There was something I was going to say to Roman about feedback from what he was talking about, but I don't remember what it was anymore. Um, well, speaking of feedback, while you think about that, yeah, sound travels pretty quick. Feedback is basically sound traveling so fast that you're hearing the sound again. At what point does sound turn into feedback from reverb? Well, so I mean, like feedback is like, you know, if you put a microphone that you're singing into in front of a guitar amp that someone is playing behind you or, or no, if you put the, the microphone in front of the amp that has your voice coming out. Right. Feedback is when you sing into a microphone and it's projected behind it and it's caught by the microphone and then amplified by it and you create a sound feedback loop. Reverb is the sound that a space makes when when you make sound in it. So it's the sound of the echo or the clap. When you clap in an auditorium and you hear the room and what it comes back to you, that's the reverberating waves that you've hit coming back and so to does you. That- not feedback because the sound has been altered. Oh no! I mean, the more reverb, the more feedback there's going to be, right? Like the more right, so that's room what I'm sound saying. there is. Yeah, sorry, I just wasn't sure what you were saying. I'm saying like like reverb is hearing that sound again on a loop, basically. Well, right. Well, so like, reverb is like, just sort of the echo in a room, right? But the echo is a fading loop, right? It's a sound bounced back. It's maybe changed by the wall that it hit, but it's the same sound coming back to you. And feedback is happening, but the sound is being projected from behind you into the microphone. So I would say the difference is that feedback it, feedback is like proactive, like it's sending and receiving. It's it's sending the receiving sound that it's sending, whereas reverb has an end to it. If you clap in an auditorium and you hear the echo come back. So if you varied the pitch of your sound a lot, would you prevent the feedback because it wouldn't be looping that same thing back into itself? It would be looping a, a variable sound. That's a, that's a good question, Django. I want to use this podcast to make sure that your voice is amplified and reverberated <laughs> and fed back into the ears of everyone that hears it. But I can't say for sure if I know that we're working with the exact same variables, but I would love Certainly to hang out not. with you on maybe like logic, my audio editing equipment, and we could look at the, what, you know, delay feedback and what reverb does. And we could experiment with some of that. It's well, a really good that, question. I really love exalting who you are here. I really hope that that delay that I just gave you was enough for you to figure out what you were going to ask Roman. You know, it's not, but a little feedback I want to give you is that it was well executed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that was episode 261 of the Perfectly Acceptable podcast brought to you by New Directions and True Confessions. Uh, from up, up in the comics place. Yes, from the follow-up to the 2002 Disney Channel original movie based on the book True Confessions about a twin who wanted to record uh, the experience that she had growing up with a twin who was deprived of oxygen in utero and then was born with birth defects. This is clearly the follow-up to that. So thank you for letting us be this truthful confession. And I am happy that I got to share it with my good and close friends who are both wonderful individuals. I'm happy too. And you, Django, we're going to make sure that this podcast, we're going to make sure it serves you, bud, because you deserve it. And I have spent too long 
trying to make my small self seem big by making you look small in comparison and you are nothing but a giant. I do tend to have clothes that are a little tight in the crotch. If you want to get us an email or a voicemail like the wonderful people that did, you can send them to jeff at thecomicsplace.com. You will be entered for a contest for every email that you send. I do need to ask Andrew, the editor, what that contest we advertised a couple weeks ago was, <laughs> what you get if you write the emails, but Nathan's <clears throat> written emails, Garside's written emails, Will's written emails, Andrew's written emails, Judd's written emails. That's five people in the entry. Every email is a new entry, and you're going to get something good. I feel like we're kind of at sea with our name. I, I don't think that it had the same name today that we had last week. I, no, it doesn't. Not a, it, okay, it doesn't. But no. Something was kind of tickling in the back of my head. I thought I thought maybe we were so like we're we're searching. Mm-hmm. We're we're like a boat at sea and we had the papcast, the perfectly simple podcast and then we experimented with Romans Rumens for that a while. That was my favorite name we've ever had, but I think It was, but I think the gone. reason that it was so good was because it was never officially one word. It was either Rumens, Ruminants or Ruminations. And now we're it in new Romans. directions. And I think the only good new directions episode we had was the first one when we were surfing. That was definitely the one that I played ball the least with. Well, (laughs) if you had played ball more, it would have been better because your contributions make our art only more good because who you are and the contributions that you make to our social ecosystem could never be quantified. They're so good. This is the most the most Ouroboros meta thing I've ever heard. And I love it. Um, so Jeff at the comicsplace.com if you want to be entered in the competition to win the stuff um, and be a part of our show and be our friends and talk to us. We genuinely appreciate it. Um, the comic books are fun to talk to talk about with one another, but the more emails that come in, the more questions we get to answer. And that's where the real jazz music comes in. Mm, Ask weird, weird, boop, weird boop, questions yeah. and maybe make them be like, hey, Jeff, you answer this. But Roman's answer has to then feed into Django's, you know, make it just get weird with us. We're weirdos. Get weird with us. Um, Jeff at the comicspace.com for that. Uh, info at the comicspace.com for our cool email address. That That's not for anyone. Nobody needs that. No one needs that. Jeff's an idiot. Misinfo at thecomicsplace.com. Shop.thecomicsplace.com if you want to order stuff from our website. Uh, Just send us an email. Tell us what you want. We'll get it to you. Um, But until then, always, I'm Jeff. I'm Romy. I'm Django. And keep watching the skies.